Well, good morning. And those of you who join us on the interweb, we're so glad that you're with us. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are talking about making good decisions and um, how do we make better decisions because I think we all want to make decisions that are pleasing to God. Um, one of the passages that kind of I was thinking about as we were preparing this series was Psalm 119, which is the longest Psalm, 105. And uh, it says this, your word, God, is a, a light, a lamp, a light to my path. Your word, O Lord, is a light to my path. Uh, uh, see, now there it is, right? Look at it, Matt. <laughs> a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There, all right. So you think about this. If you've ever camped, right, you go out at night camping, right? And you have a lantern, right? At 2 o'clock in the morning, you have to go, right? And so you're walking into the woods to wherever you've got to go, right? And uh, it's nice because it shows you what that next step is. There's a rock there or, you know, this is the way I need to go. Or, look, there's a bear, you know, or something like that. You know, you just it shows you things that you need to see, but it doesn't show you the whole path. It shows you kind of the next step or the next couple steps, right? And that's what God's Word does. And one of the themes you're going to hear in this series is this. That God doesn't show you the final destination, but he does show you the next step, okay? The question is, are we willing to take whatever that next step is, or do we want to take a step that maybe isn't a good step, and we know it's not a good step? That's kind of what we want to wrestle with. The question is, how do we know, or, or how, how do we use God's word as a light to our path? How do we do that? Um, like, for instance, how do I know God's will for my life, right? Don't most of us, you joining us online, don't you want to have a good answer to that? How do I know that, that my life is pleasing to God, that I'm on the right path, that, that the decisions I'm going to have to make this week are pleasing to God? How, how do I do that? Or maybe you haven't thought about that. And this is kind of, yeah, I think that's probably pretty important. And the other, the other one is this, what if I make a wrong choice? What if I choose the wrong path? Some of you may be here. Some of you may be joining us online. He said, I made a wrong choice a long time ago, and I feel like God, you know, kind of checked out. That I'm on the wrong path. There's no way I can get back with God. And, I, may, you know, I went down. And I just want to tell you there's hope in this message for you. Because uh, we're going to talk about the will of God. And the will of God is, is kind of amazing. And Bible scholars and theologians have kind of come to uh, this idea that God's will, when we talk about God's will, we're really talking about three things. We're talking, number one, about a sovereign will, that God is sovereign over everything, and his sovereign will determines everything that happens in the universe. There's nothing that happens apart from God. Um, let me read you a passage. This is uh, from Ephesians chapter 1, and it says, In him, in Christ, uh, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who, notice what it says, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's nothing in this universe that God doesn't have. He's got it. He's got it. He's got control. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be 
for the praise of his glory. So we, we hold to the sovereign will of God. Now this is, this is undisclosed to us. We don't know God's sovereign will. He doesn't reveal his sovereign will to us. He doesn't tell us why things happen in the universe and explain things. And we want to know sometimes, right? There's times where we say, God, I wish you just would explain this, but it's his sovereign hidden will. We have to be okay with that, that he's God and we're not. The second thing is we think of God's moral will. And God's moral will is revealed to us in the scriptures. In other words, the scriptures contain everything that we need to know how to walk a life and live a life that's pleasing to him. God hasn't kept us in the dark. I mean, his sovereign will, we don't know that. But his moral will, he has revealed to us. We can think of the Ten Commandments. We can think of, you know, the other, you know, we'll talk more about some other passages. But God pretty much says, this is what I expect of you. This is, this is how you should behave. This is how you should talk. This is what you shouldn't do, what you should do. So God is pretty clear on his moral will. Look at Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. It says, love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Jesus, when he walked on this earth in John 14, said, if you love me, keep my commands. So we're watching uh, three of our grandkids this week. Well, for the last number, it just seems like a long time. <laughs> And some of you are saying, Matt, you got, you know, stains in your pants and, you know, yeah, I have grandkids this week, okay? Just, just that happens. And so, you know, they put their grubby little hands on you and <laughs> it just happens, right? So it is what it is. But, you know, as, as we're going through, you're talking about the scriptures, it's funny because sometimes uh, in you, if you have parents and especially if you're a little kid, sometimes they drive you nuts and then you put them in bed and they have been giving you time all day right all day and you lay them down and they lay their heads down on their little pillows and they say I love you so much and you go if you love me you do what I told you to do <laughs> right you're thinking that in your head you say oh thank you you know uh, but, you know, that's, uh, so Jesus is going, you know, you say you love me, keep my commands. That's his moral will. All right, let's talk about his individual will. Now, there's a teaching out there that God has one perfect individual will for you, and you have to find that. So when you come to a fork in the road, you have the right decision, and you have the wrong decision, and you better make the right decision. And some people believe that, right? And, and they may take a passage like Romans 12 that says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there you have it. Paul says that God has a perfect will for you. God never shows us the final destination, but he shows us the next step. But sometimes we have the next step. We have a fork in the road, right? And we say, what do we do? What do we do here? Another passage is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways that submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now notice... 
he doesn't say your path straight. He says your paths, plural, straight, which is a hint. Because the question is, does God have only one perfect will for your life? So therefore, it's, it's possible that you could come to a fork in the road, choose the wrong fork, and immediately be out of God's will for the rest of your life. Because you can't go back and go through it, right? And I want to tell you that I don't think that's what the, teach, the scriptures teach. As I have looked at the scriptures and studied this over the years. I think it's clear and I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't have one perfect will for our lives. That God has a path with many good choices. Now, what I mean by that is that you're, as you're taking those obedience steps on a daily basis, and we'll talk about what that looks like, but you're taking those obedience steps every day, you come to a fork in the road, but the fork may not be this or this. It may be four or five or six good choices. And God is saying to you, take your pick. They're all good choices. Each one of those will keep you in my will. But you get to choose. Okay, now that gives us a little bit more freedom, doesn't it? And you say, but how do I know? Because there's five choices here. Well, that's where the Word of God comes in. Because I think the Word of God gives us all the direction we need to make those decisions when we need to make them and to choose which decision is the, the best one for us. And we'll talk about some other things in a minute. But I think God has given us His Word. And His Word will give us enough insight so that we can make a good decision. But I want to tell you, and I want to just kind of take a, a burden off, that you don't have to worry that... You, if you made a choice that you're, you're and, and it was not a, a sinful choice or anything, but you, you feel like, oh, I just wait, I, I just walked out of God's will. Okay? And I want to give you a couple um, illustrations of that. But I want you to see, first off, God's word is sufficient and able to lead you to make good decisions. Now, let me give you an example. Because one of the biggest examples is in life is, who should I marry? Now, out there, there's a mentality. It's in the pop culture, too, that there's a Mr. Right and a Miss Right out there. That if We've just got to find each other. And it's interesting how you know, that all works. But in the, Christian, in the Christian community, there's this idea out there that there's only... Now, Carol and I may disagree on this one, okay? But she may... Uh, there's a mentality out there that says there's only one perfect person out there and your job is to find them and you better find them because if you marry them and they're not the right one you've not only messed it up for you but you've messed it up for someone else right okay so let me show you a couple of passages where I think that's not taught in scripture um second corinthians six fourteen says do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what does fellowship, what fellowship can light have with the darkness? So Paul is saying in this passage something really important, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus Christ, then your potential pool of spouses is somebody who loves Jesus. And if they don't love Jesus, they don't know Jesus, they are not your spouse, or they can't become your spouse, 
I've had people bring their potential spouse into the office. And one of the first things I do is I sit down and say, tell me about your relationship with, with God. And the, the Christian will say, yeah, I, I walk with God. I love Jesus and I want to follow him. And that's my life. And then I talk to the other person. They go, yeah, I, I go to church every now and then. Okay. And I want to look at the Christian and I want to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Paul says not to be unequally yoked together. You've come to the fork in the road and you've chosen a fork that God says no. And I know what they want me to do. Get them saved quick. Share the gospel with them. <laughs> Paul says, what does darkness have to do with light? Right? Now, those are difficult decisions, right? Because we already have emotions for the person and we think that God is leading us. Well, God isn't leading you to marry somebody that violates his word. So tired of trying to be, you know, I have to be the bad guy. Um, let me show you another passage because this idea out there that there's one, only one perfect person out there, I don't think God's word teaches that. So again, 1 Corinthians 7.39, it says a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. I don't know why the guys are always dying. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's always the guys, right? It's, if, if wife dies, you know. No, it's not that. Now it applies both ways. Okay, but it says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her, hus her husband dies, she is free to marry. And then it says, anyone she wishes. But then he puts a disclaimer on there. He says, but he must belong to the Lord. Again, with this belong to the Lord. Yes, God's word will guide you. So this is good news because it says there's not just one perfect person. There may be five or ten or fifteen. And God says you have the freedom to choose. You have the freedom to choose. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, they also be, need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're violating God's word. Okay, it's pretty clear. No debate. No. Does God have a perfect person that you should marry? No, but I think he has a certain group of persons. But we have the freedom to choose, but in the Lord. What we're talking about here in all of this is God's permissive will. That God honors our free will to make choices. So you may come to a fork in the road, and it's not this or this. It may be this or this or this or this or this. And then you have to, you know, you have to use the other processes that we're going to talk about about how you whittle them down to maybe the best choice for you at that point in time. But I like what uh, the church father Augustine said he said where there's no command God gives us the freedom and the responsibility to choose where there's no command you get to choose all right so with this framework what are three things that we can do that help us make better decisions all right that's what I want to spend the rest of the time because I think we all want to leave this place or when we want finish uh, joining this video, we want to say, okay, I want to make better decisions that are pleasing to God. And what I'm suggesting to you is that many times God doesn't just give you one choice, but he gives you multiple choices, and they may all be decent choices. And that's okay. So you don't have to feel like, oh, I chose that, and 
that certainly will have implications, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different, and God gives you the freedom. Um, so what are some, some things that we can do to help us to make sure? How can we use God's word as a lamp to our feet so that we make good decisions? All right, number one, we need to follow the principle of love. Follow the principle of love. Look at Matthew 22, verse 35. It says, one of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? All right. So the next few verses, if you don't have verses that you would, you say, well, pastor, I should memorize scripture more, where would you begin? I would say, number one, right here. This is the verse that, this would be the first verse that I would memorize, and many of you already know at least a portion of it. Let me read it to you. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Great passages. So Jesus says you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. You don't have to worry about the Old Testament law. You don't have to worry about anything. If you just love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, some passages, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you probably won't violate any of those other ones. Okay? Pretty straightforward, right? Summarizes the law. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if your decision breaks your relationship with God or violates God's word in a sense that it's not obedient to God, or if it harms or hurts a brother or sister in Christ, then it's not the right decision. Pretty clear, right? Um, let me give you another test case in this. So in the New Testament, one of the things that they would do is... Um, there were uh, people who worshipped idols, and they would worship on, you know, in, in, in sanctuaries, on mountains, and they would offer meat to idols. And then when the meat was after the service, after the meat was offered to idols, they'd bring the meat down into the marketplace, and they'd throw it down there, and they would sell the meat. And uh, many people would buy the meat, and so here's what happens. We have some Christians who were once worshippers of the idols and they knew this meat was offered to idols and therefore they felt like they couldn't eat the meat because it had that symbolic connection for them and they they, they said no I can't eat that meat but other Christians who weren't part of that said it's good meat I don't have that connection I'm just gonna eat it okay so Paul is addressing that mentality so look at what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 7, 27. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put for, before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, don't ask, don't tell. If, if, if somebody puts meat before you, don't say, was this offered to an idol? Just eat the meat. Don't worry about it. Okay? Um. But then in another place, Paul's talking about what if two Christians are eating the same meal together and the meat is offered to an idol or you're preparing a meal meat, and you go to the meat market and you know you're going to have a brother or sister who can't eat that meat. 
you've you got to be careful about what you do. So he says this. Look at, look at uh, this is 1 Corinthians 8.13. He says, therefore, if what causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat to get again so that it will not cause them to fall. In other words, he's saying that if you have the freedom that you can eat the meat, it doesn't mean anything to you, but you have another brother or sister that can't, don't flaunt your freedom in front of their faces. Why? What, what principle does that violate? Well, it's the principle of love for your brother or sister. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do things. You wouldn't use your freedom in a way to slap them in the face, right? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't say, well, I could eat the meat. I don't know what your problem. You wouldn't do that, right? That's unloving, okay? And the great principle Paul has in chapter 10, verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, this is another one of those verses if you want, like, you know, the, the first passage and then this one. So whatever you do, eat, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So there's your standard, right? Can I do this for the glory of God or not? If I can't, then I'm violating a principle of Scripture, and I shouldn't take that step, right? All right, so that's a good start. It gives us a lot of direction, but it also gives us freedom to make choices, right? And that's what we're talking about, that we have the freedom to make choices. So that's a good thing. Um, here's the third thing. Well, it's actually the second thing. Seek godly guidance and advice. Um, Proverbs has a lot, of, lot to do with this. Um, a lot of passages speak about um, the whole book of Proverbs is really interesting because it, it's what I call um, in life, your parents are trying. In the beginning of the book of Proverbs, it, it's, it has a phrase like this, my son, listen to my instruction because it will, it will save you. And, and essentially what the father is saying to the son is you don't have to pay the dumb tax. You don't have to pay the dumb tax. Let somebody else pay the dumb tax. Learn from their mistake. And that's what the Father's saying. And so a number of the Proverbs are about, if you do this, bad things will happen, so don't do this, right? And so a lot of Proverbs are like that. But the Proverbs, the Proverbs we're going to look at are basically saying, having people counsel you, wise people, people that love God, people that maybe are a few steps ahead of you, Talk with them, and, and they will help you make better decisions. Look at this. Um, Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And, and one that you, many of you have probably heard, not all of you probably, but Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Strong friendships and strong friends can help you make better decisions. So we have the law of love, right? Love God, love others. But we also have the resource that God has given us friendships. He's given us people to help us. That we don't have to make these decisions alone. And so the question is, do you have someone who can speak into your life, who can say the things you don't want to hear when you need to hear them, 
who loves you too much to let you go. That when the wheels start coming off in your life, they call you out and they say, I see this going on. Am I right or not? I care too much to let you go. And they may say things you don't want to hear, but you have to hear them. Do you have somebody in your life? Have you given them permission to speak into your life? Do you have somebody that you can call at 2 a.m. in the morning? Your life is just coming apart. And they pick up the phone and they say, what's up? I'll be right there. How do you find friends like that? One of the ways that we're trying to provide in this community is get you into a, what we call life groups, where you can meet people and maybe get, find a friend and find somebody that over the years you build that, that type of relationship, that when you go to the hospital for an operation, they're there. They're praying for you beforehand. They love you. They care for you. They bring you meals. Yeah, you know, there are times in, in, around this community where I hear after the fact, <laughs> somebody's been in the hospital and their care group has kind of come around them. That's a beautiful thing. They have those friendships. They have those relationships. And when they make a decision, they say, I think I'll have coffee with this person and see what they think. And they may, you may bring your, your idea up and they say, are you out of your mind? <laughs> or they may say, no, I think, that's a, I think that's a sound decision. And you go, okay, okay. Here's the third thing. We have uh, God's Holy Spirit to guide us. We have God's Holy Spirit to guide us. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and this is one of a number of indications we have in Scripture, that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God often. Uh, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, so all through his earthly ministry, Jesus is constantly being led by the Spirit of God. Led by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you another comforter. That Greek word another means another of the same kind. And he won't be with you like I am. He will be within you to guide you into all truth. Truth meaning God's word. So my question is, or my point is, if Jesus needed to be led by the Spirit of God, how much more do we? Right? All right, so let's just review real quick here. We have, we want to make good decisions. We've just said, okay, but we may not just have a fork where there's two. We may have five good decisions. Well, how do we narrow that down? Well, it may be that any of those is a good decision. God gives you the freedom to do it. But we should ask the question, does it violate the law of love? Are we breaking our, our love for God in a sense not being obedient to what he's given us in his word? Are we uh, hurting, harming our brother or sister? Okay. Uh, have we bounced it off of a friend or a counselor, somebody that, that gets us and understands our heart and, and we can share? Have we done that? And then number three, how is that playing out in our, in our inner person, the inner Holy Spirit? Do we feel like the Spirit of God is making us uneasy about this decision and that we shouldn't do it? Okay, well, then are we going to listen to the Spirit of God or not? But the point is, if Jesus was, it was important for him to be led by the Holy Spirit, how much more should we? And Paul writes this in Galatians 5. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
You're not under the law. The Spirit of God is willing to lead you if you will let Him. But He also isn't going to overpower you and force you to follow the plan of God. You get the freedom to choose. Sometimes at your own detriment. I want to say one other quick thing. So in the church, sometimes you have people who are, they've been Christians for a long time. And they will sometimes come to you and say things like, I don't think you should be doing that. That doesn't seem pleasing to God to me. And what you're doing is really not that bad and you don't feel conviction about it. And they will throw this weaker brother text at you. And you go, wait a minute. The weaker brother is usually a new believer who's working through some issues. They're just becoming to understand the maturity and the richness of Christ and walking in freedom. And they don't get that. Not you, you pug face. Right? They're, they're mature Christians, but they're acting like Pharisees. That's what was going on in the New Testament because there were these people coming. We called them Judaizers. Then they were coming and they were telling Paul, I don't think you should be eating that food with those people. And Paul basically kind of fell for it. But they were being hypocrites. And basically, it, you know, it came to a point where James had to call Peter out. He said, Peter, what are you doing listening to them? They're not weaker brothers. So just a word about weaker brothers. The point I want you to see, though, is God's word is sufficient to provide us all the guidance that we need to know that we can walk in his will. But I want you to know the freedom that you get to make those choices. And you may be here and you say, but I made a bad choice down the road. Okay, but you're still here. And God still has a plan. And you could still walk in God's will this week, today. You get to make those choices. Now we have some grid, right? We have a grid to use. We have some tools to use. And so as we use those tools, we make those decisions. And we walk in the freedom that God has given us. We may have five good paths. That's okay. But we have some tools to say, how do we decipher the best path? Because if you get yourself to a place where there's only one right decision, you know. Now, again, if you use these tools, you understand there may be two or three good decisions. Don't beat yourself up if you take one choice. And, you know, it's okay. Don't look back. Just move on. God is pleased, right? As long as you follow those patterns, those will help you. We're going we're to follow up with this. We're going to talk more about making good decisions as we move through the series. But hopefully that will get us started in this area of, of walking in God's will and allowing God's word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let me lead you in prayer as we close our time. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your word and the encouragement we get from it. Um, Father, we thank you that you love us so much, that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And we want to make good decisions, and uh, we need your help. We thank you you've given us uh, your word, you've given us your people, and you've given us your Holy Spirit. May we use these tools um, to guide us and direct us. And may, when we come to a place, Father, where we know 
there's something that we really want to do, but we know it's not right. Help us to have the courage to take the right step, and that step is obedience to your word. So guide us as we make those choices, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.